We'll read one verse tonight. Uh, it's all the way at the back end of your Bible in the book of 1 John. 1 John 1. We're going to read a verse there in 1 John 1 and verse 7. It's only even half the verse that I, I really like to read tonight, but it's found in 1 John 1 and verse 7. 1 John 1 and 7. First John 1 and 7, this is what it says. It says, If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And if you can just remember these words tonight, these are the words I want to speak on. This is what, this is what John says. He says, And uh, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, that's God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, Cleanses us from all sins. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, you would say, foundational truths in that verse. But just if you can remember that, really, if you forget what I say, that's a common occurrence here, and it's a good thing. But this word here, and these words that we've read, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sins. If you can just remember those. Um, just in preparing for tonight, I was... Uh, Thinking back, uh, just on, you know, you're, sometimes you're looking for just an illustration that will bring across a truth, something that would give your audience an attention. Uh, I was reading in my newspaper the other day, it was a, it was a bit of a, an article on self-portraits that people do. And my mind went back to the 8th grade. Uh, I had an art teacher, his name was Mr. Faraday. Some of you may have had him, I don't know if he went to Mill Park High School, you had him there. Uh, and he was my art teacher, and one of the... Uh, one of the Assignments was to do a self-portrait. And so I was, uh, you know, you have a mirror there, you're sitting in your art class, and I had my piece of paper out, and uh, you would look at the mirror, you'd copy down, you'd look back at the mirror, you'd copy down what you saw. But the problem is, no one really likes the way they look, right? So as I was copying down, I took a look at my, my nose, and my brother and I have mocked each other for our noses throughout our life. I just made it look a little better. And then when I looked at my eyes, I, I, I tended just to make them maybe uh, a little brighter. Uh, and if you don't know this, my ears are lopsided. One's really high and one's really low. That was from my dad pulling me like this when I was growing up, right? And so I, I evened out my ears a little bit, made them even. And when I got done with my self-portrait, I brought it up to Mr. Faraday, and he said to me, he said, uh, who is this? Who is this? And I said, it's me. He said, not in a million years. Not in a million years, Dave. He goes, go do it again. I did it again. I think I ended up getting a B-, which is big for an elective in class. But you think sometimes, isn't that true? When you're doing a portrait of yourself, tell me this. If someone you loved went missing, if someone you loved, if it was a kid, if it was an adult, if it was, your, if it was a parent, if it was someone that you wanted to see found, if they went missing and the police came to you and said, tell us what they look like, you wouldn't embellish. You wouldn't tell them that their hair looked better or that they were a little taller than they said they were in their license. Or maybe you, you drop a couple pounds or you tell them, no, no, if someone went missing, you tell them exactly what they look like, almost down to the shoes they were wearing, the color of the pants. And sometimes you get these cards that come to your house and men have have gone to all types of struggles to show you what they would look like because they've been aged seven years. They've been gone for seven years. And they say when they were last seen, this is what... Why? Because it's so important to know what someone looks like to find them. If you had to describe yourself to God tonight, how would you do it? 
you had to describe yourself to God tonight, how would you do it? You'd say, I've never cheated on my spouse, or I've been faithful to my boyfriend or girlfriend. You'd say, Dave, you know, I've only had a job for a couple of years, but you better believe it. I've paid my taxes. I've done it honestly. I've never taken a dime from the government. You say, Dave, not only have I attended Mass on Easter and Christmas, you say, but, but I've gone throughout the year, even when it meant sacrificing time with friends and family. I've been there at the church. You say, not only that, I've donated... I've donated a lot of money, even to like the Wounded Warrior Fund, or, or to, to soldiers overseas. You say, this is how we describe ourselves. When we describe ourselves... Tell me this. Would God be able to find you based on your description? Would God be able to find you? Because sometimes we, we get misunderstood, and I ask people, they say, Dave, I'm, I'm searching through life, and I'm searching for God. Listen, if you just read to the third page in your Bible, you'd find out this remarkable truth. Nobody searches for God. We only run from Him. God's looking for us. So if you had to describe yourself, as it were, so that God would find you, how would you do it? Because the Bible tells me this. The Lord Jesus Christ says in Luke 5, go home and read it. He says, I didn't come to call right people. I came to call sinners. He goes, healthy people don't need a doctor. Only sick people do. Not only does he say that, but in Luke 19, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Not only there, but Romans 5. We've had it up here all week. God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us sinners. 1 Timothy 1 and 15 says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It was when I was ungodly. That was who God died for. And so I would just, I would just press this home on you tonight. Everyone wants to be found. But I would ask you, based on your own description, will God find you? Because He's only looking for sinners. He's only looking for the ungodly. He's only looking for the lost. Tell me this. John Newton's famous hymn. If I asked everyone in the tent to quote it tonight, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You believe it? Or you got to add something to it? Does God save wretches or does God save worthy people? Come to our Bible and we're asked just to describe ourselves before God so that there is an absolute possibility that He would find me. And we describe ourselves in such a way, you'd say, it's like that self-portrait. You'd say, they would never find me. I've embellished it. I've, I've made it out to be something I'm not. Someone I'm not. And I've, I, I've, I've added this and I've added that. And when God comes looking for the filth, when He comes looking for sinners... He doesn't find one because we've described ourselves as any way but that. And so we come to our verse tonight and it tells me it and it tells me it so sweetly because if you've been to religious services of I have and if you've been to anything, I, I, I don't even have to name a religious service because if you went through all of Bergen, all of Passaic, all of Hudson County and you went to any type of, as you would say, spiritual understanding or some place that would give you something to go home with, you know what? Where else would you get news like this? 
If you were to ask someone, what do I do about the sins in my soul? If it was just getting help to get out of bed in the morning, if it was just, if it was just so that I can enjoy relationship with my family or with, with a spouse, or if it was just getting along better with my siblings, I would just refer you to a self-help coach. If all you need is a kick in the pants to get out of bed in the morning, i got about six guys who would come and help you out. But when it's about removing sin from your soul, what do you do? You'd say, desiring like a real answer to a real problem. And our verse, it comes across and it says something. And it says, argue with this. It says, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Name it. Name it. Name that. I would almost say, just name the sin. Name it. The the, the things you'd say I would never tell anyone about. I would never echo. I would never, ever state it. It cleanses from all sins. And sometimes we get caught up in this thing and you might live a life of regret as I have and you say, you remember that you did this and you remembered when you said that and you remembered when you thought those thoughts and you can remember when you made that person cry and you can remember when you lost the trust of that individual and you go through your life and you almost want to pick them back just take them back if you could somehow have the chance to go back and just cherry pick every sin from day one until day now and get rid of them all you'd still be a sinner it's not only the things I do it's what's inside of me You say, Dave, is there any good news for that? Yeah, because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And our verse just comes down, and it says that. It says all our our religious wisdom has told us to count sins. And it says, if it's going to be placed on this side, if I've counted all my sins, and they've amassed to to 10,536,678, and I place it on that scale, it tells me this, you better have more than that on this side. Or what are the chances of being in heaven? As I've counted all my sins, everyone around me who, who, who seeks to give me good religious advice tells me, if you've counted them on this side, then you must outweigh them on this side. And I come to my Bible and it tells me before I ever even got to sin, it says I was condemned already. And when I count my sins, I only count them in one way. Every one of them was on Jesus Christ when He died on Calvary. Every single one of them. Every single one of them was nailed upon an innocent man when he died at Calvary. It's not about being better tonight. I'd almost encourage you to be better. Matt goes to prison sometimes. You know, when you get to a prison, you never have to convince anybody they're a sinner. You never have to. It's one of the great joys of preaching the gospel in a prison. I come to meetings like this. I have to labor for 25 minutes to convince you that you're a sinner in order to tell you that Christ came to save sinners. I'd love it to be the other way around. If I could just convince you tonight that you're maybe not describing yourself to God the way that He sees you. If you've missed the description, if I could just convince you tonight, not because I said it, I may not even know you tonight, but from the Word of God that we've all fallen short, we've aimed at the wrong target, we've missed the mark, we haven't measured up, and no one has. If I could just get you to agree with that tonight. It's like agreeing, getting someone who's drowning in an ocean to just agree they're drowning so that you could save them. You'd say, oh, just to look back on it and to see someone who says, it was me. That's that's it. And I come to the verse like this and it tells me, he died 
This is the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. We often say that. I, there's probably some law enforcement here tonight. And, you, and, and it's a well-known phrase. You know what they say? They say, the blood was on his hands. You got to the scene of the crime. You opened the apartment door. You went to where it took place. And you say, you say there was not even an excuse. The blood was on his hands. Guilty. When Christ died at Calvary, just please raise your hand tonight if it wasn't for you. Please tell me tonight if somehow I've gotten this wrong when the Bible tells me that He died for all, that He died for sinners. If it wasn't your sins that He died for, please let me know because you'd be the rarest person on earth. But if the blood was on your hands, it's the same blood that cleanses you from every sin. It's the same blood that cleanses you from every single sin. The story is told. It's November 28, 2008. It happened in Bombay, or I guess you would say Mumbai, India. It was called the Bombay Massacre. And in a hotel lobby there in the downtown part of the city, uh, there were amassed uh, something like 200 to 300 individuals there for an event in that hotel lobby when, as it were, 10 to 15 armed terrorists entered that lobby. Uh, They had semi-automatic rifles. They, they, they They had, as it were, any number of weapons. And that day, they took life without discretion. There was, no, there was no asking whose life to take and who's not. I think on that day, if I have my numbers correct, over 40 individuals perished that day in that lobby on November 28, 2008. There was one man who was interviewed. He was a London-based uh, man. He was vacationing from the UK in India. His name was Joey Jeeton. He was 31 years old. He was an actor from London, England. And the Daily Mail, you go home and Google it, you can get the same story that I got. They asked him, they said, how is it? And to what do you owe your life today? Was it someone that placed their body on top of yours? Was it the fact that that somehow you knew one of the terrorists? What was it? How do you explain that you are alive today when 40 people have died? He said, I only ascribe it to one reason and one reason only. I was covered in someone else's blood and they thought I was dead. That I was covered in someone else's blood. They had to have thought I was already dead. I'm absolutely sure tonight. I'm a hundred percent sure. If you'd give me the leniency tonight, I'm a thousand percent sure that every single one of my sins is forgiven. That if I die within the day, that I will be in heaven. That I have peace with God. Why? Because I'm covered in someone else's blood. I owe it to that and nothing else. Nothing else. If I could end the last 10 minutes of the meeting and just say that to you over and over again, because I don't know if repetition does it. See, I'm saved because of what Christ did plus nothing. I was bought with a price. What was it? The life that Christ gave when He died at Calvary plus nothing. I'm forgiven of all my sins because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins plus nothing. I'm going to be in heaven tonight. And so are you. And so are you. And so are you. And if someone were to ask you on the way out of the tent tonight, 
how in the world do you know you're going to heaven? You could say to them, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ died for me plus nothing. In fact, the Bible says Christ died for nothing because that's all that I was. I was nothing. And yet everything came down to this world and died for nothing. And you know what? I'll never be able to repay Him. I'll never be able to repay Him, not even a nickel. And yet He did it. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sins. I'm guaranteed tonight that my sins are forgiven. I'm guaranteed that every wrong I have made, will make, and could ever make has been forgiven at Calvary. And you say, says who? Jesus Christ. Take God at His word plus nothing. You could just trust what God has said. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sins. You can take someone at their word, and you've done it. You've taken an employer at their word. You've taken a spouse at their word. You've taken a boyfriend at his word. You've taken a mother and a father at their word, and you've believed them for who they are. Tell me, my friend, is it too much to take the one who hung the world on nothing and then hung it across? Is it too much to take him at his word plus nothing? Is it too much to trust in the blood of Christ plus nothing? Is it too much to be forgiven tonight because Christ died for me plus nothing? Is it too much? Did God give everything? And is it enough for you? Because heaven only looks for additions of sinners. And it seeks no addition to the work of Christ. Heaven only ever wanted one good man and it got him. On April 3rd, 8033, when he suffered at Calvary for six hours, gave up the ghost, and three days later rose again and went back to heaven. It got its one good man, and all it wants now is bad people. If that's you, if it's time to make a self-portrait tonight so that God finds you, tell me, describe yourself. I only need one word, I'm a sinner. Thank God Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was me. Was it you? This may be your first time out tonight. This may be something that is just, you'd say, it's going to go in one year and out the other. If you're a believer in the Bible, you can take this assurance that the Bible declares this to be true. That you can do nothing to save yourself. That God asked nothing from you because He asked everything from His Son. And you could have peace with God tonight. You could have forgiveness. You could have salvation. Because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Good to see everyone that's out tonight. I trust you can hear us. The fans are on. I think there's three on tonight. But if you can't hear me, just raise your hand and we can turn it up just a bit. But let's look together in two places in Scripture. The first one, they're going to be both in the same book, uh, in the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke's Gospel. And chapter 12. Luke in chapter 12. And let's just read at 13 
for some context here. Christ is speaking. It's concerning covetousness. Uh, and one of the verse thirteen of chapter twelve. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Christ says to him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them. He's going to tell them a story now to relate the truth that he has just imparted on them. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. There's a lot of eyes here. I will, I say, listen to verse 19. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now let's stay in the same uh, book of Luke and look at chapter 19. Luke in chapter 19. And verse 1. Luke 19 and verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was very rich. Now notice the action verb here in uh, verse 3. And he sought to see Jesus who he was, and could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree uh, to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Lord uh, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I had taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation. Come to this house for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. And the verse that if I could just uh, put into your mind that you never forget is this verse in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man, that's Christ, is come to seek and to save that which was lost. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Dave mentioned, I speak at, at prisons or uh, with individuals uh, uh, that have come from those particular circumstances. It's very interesting, though, even to speak to people uh, that have gone under such a, uh, a challenge in their life where they were caught by the law or whatever, and you ask them, what have you done in their life? And it's interesting that although uh, they have sinned and they know their sin, they start to compare their sins. 
And I'll ask someone and he'll say, well, uh, I got into a fight and I was thrown in prison, but that guy over there, he took the life of another. And that guy, and they start to point. The Bible is not pointing fingers. The Bible is broadly stating universally that you and I have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. You and I have sinned, and because we have sinned, we need a Savior, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said those words in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I asked the question tonight from the front of the room right to the back of the room. Do you consider yourself lost? Because for 22 years of my life, I never realized that I was absolutely lost until the night God saved me. And I understood from the Word of God that I was a guilty, wretched sinner and I was lost. And Christ came and He saved my soul. We were preaching one night and a man, uh, there were hundreds in the audience down at Pacific Garden Mission. Perhaps even, I'd say, uh, even conservatively, five, six hundred people. They're all sitting there in the audience. They're from off the streets. And one guy who had sat there under the gospel for, I knew him for at least a couple years, he came up to me after and he said, Hey, can I just give you a little bit of advice? Brother Kerwin had just spoken on Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And the man said, uh, your messages, you and your friend, and they call us uh, sons of thunder. I don't even know what that means, but that's a, you don't even know his name. They call him Kerwin. They don't even say Kerwin. They say Kermit. They, they can't even say his name right. Your friend and you, your messages have too much of Christ. Too much, he said. I said, well, well what do we speak about? He said, this audience needs to understand how to live. And they need teaching. And they can have that teaching from the same Bible, but you don't need to tell them about Christ. So Kerwin walked up and he said, what's he saying? I said, he's telling us that we have too much of Christ in the message. So Kerwin says, amen. And uh, the guy said, what? No, no, what I'm telling you is you have to stop talking about Christ. Kerwin said, amen. And then we shared again. Kerwin said, listen, buddy, I want to show you through the Word of God what God says about His Son. And Christ is saying it here. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And the Gospel, the good news, that's what that word means. How God loves sinners and hates sin is how Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's all about Christ. If I spoke and I spoke about anything else, I would be taking away from the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel centers its attention upon guilty, wretched sinners. That's what Brother Dave was just talking about. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And it focuses its attention on sinners and it hopes to take sinners and take their attention and focus it upon one person and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Christ died once and for all on a cross for sinners. And sometimes when we hear the message of the gospel, we hear things we don't like to hear. We do hear about our sin. I was just thinking as I uh, brought... Uh, as we were coming up to gospel meeting tonight, uh, Brother Dave and I, we talk a lot before meeting or before we're studying and uh, and uh, our conversation got into more of a serious tone uh, and uh, transparently I, I wasn't a fan of what Dave told me. He spoke real, like a friend to a friend. The Bible says, faithful are the words of a friend. But he was being real. And I thought, man, that's bold. And, that, and that's good. Uh, but whether I like it or not, it's truth what he was saying. He was speaking to me as a friend. He cares, and he was sharing truths with me. Uh, and it's truth whether I like it or not. When we hear the Word of God, and it opens up to the sinner, and the sinner hears their condition, that there's none good, no, not one, friend, that is truth. It's stuff that you and I don't want to hear. 
When the Bible says that our throats, whatever comes out of our mouth, is as an open sepulcher, it's absolutely filthy, that's truth. When God's Word says that the soul that sinneth, it dies, the soul that rejects Christ, it perishes into a lost eternity, that is truth. And I speak today boldly, perhaps, and you say, well, well, Matt, just have some discernment. But I'll tell you this, if you miss Christ, if you miss the Son of Man, that's Christ, you're lost. You will perish. That's what the Word of God teaches. That is truth. I speak to you as a friend, I hope. Okay? But that's what the Word of God teaches, that if we miss this person, Christ, we are lost. And the purpose, and Christ is speaking here to, to Zacchaeus, the purpose of why he ever came. It was not to condemn the world. It was not to judge the world. It was for that the Son of Man is come, we read it, to seek and to save that which was lost. And I ask the question tonight, has there ever been a time in your life when you realize you're lost? When you're without hope? When you have no peace? When you have no hope of that? When you leave this time of what we enjoy as time and you enter eternity, that you're in heaven above because your relationship with God is a peaceful relationship. It's a reconciled relationship because the Bible teaches us that our relationship because of sin is separated. And we can't be reconciled except through the mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So with God's help today, I'd just like to take up uh, two thoughts or two different souls that represent your soul tonight. You say, well, Matt, you don't know me very well, but just allow me. Number one is a careless soul. And you'll allow me through the book of Luke and chapter 12. And number two is a concerned, convicted soul. That's Zacchaeus. I personally love the story of Zacchaeus uh, because Zacchaeus is a short little man and he can't see Christ. And I'm a short little man and and, uh, I can just relate to the man because he's there and he's impacted by all these tall people and he can't see the Lord Jesus and it says that Zacchaeus runs around these people and he runs to a tree to see Christ. If you're going to get saved tonight, friend, uh, the sinner and the Savior would love to collide tonight. God would love to accept you just the way you are and to take you home with Him, to call you His. You don't have to go on to eternity being a careless sinner. So let's just look at what defines, as it were, a careless person. In Luke chapter 12, uh, we read these words, uh, For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Now Christ here again is speaking, and he's speaking here of a certain rich man. This man is a careless man. This man has possessions of the world. Keep in mind, what I'm trying to say is, it's not wrong to have things. It's not wrong to be absolutely wealthy, as long as that doesn't get in the way of your relationship with the God of heaven. As long as that doesn't get in the way of you coming to trust Christ. Because God wants to take everything that's the obstacle in your life and to remove it so you see Christ. Now this man, uh, that's, his, that's his problem. is He can't look up to God because he's so focused on earthly things. And this man is so focused that he says, What shall I do because I have no room to bestow my fruits? No room. He's got so much. You know there's a truth that it's never enough. Never. You could tell me, Matt, you know, if I could just get my hands on owning this particular car, you know what would happen? You'd get that car and you'd want a faster one. Or a more expensive one. Because your friend would pull up and you have the Mustang GT Cobra, whatever that is, and your friend pulls up and he's got the Ferrari and he's the neighbor near you and now you need a Ferrari. It's never enough. You buy the home on the, on the hill and your friend buys the home that overlooks the hill. I have a friend like that in Boston. His house is on top of the hill and it overlooks the whole city. What's enough? How much is enough? And this man says, uh, I have so much that this is what I'm going to do. Friend, it doesn't matter what you're going to do. It matters what God wants to do in your life. 
And he wants to rescue your life. He wants to save your soul. This man is a careless soul. You know, when I speak about, when I think about careless, I think of these words. I was hired on, uh, I was talking to James, he's doing an internship in a very reputable company, and just stick with it. It'll, char- it'll mold you and characterize you. So, but I was hired also as an intern in college, and uh, actually at my f- father's company. Um, not, he didn't own the company, he was the GM. Uh, all we had in northern Maine is a paper mill. It runs down the river there. Everyone that works either works in a hospital that's half an hour away, or they work in this paper mill. That's all we have, or a school. And he was the GM of the mill, so there would have been a couple hundred people that rolled up to him, and uh, we, they hired college spares, and they paid them pretty good. And so I thought, well, I'm in college, and I hope I can get a job. And my dad said, Matt, I'm trusting you with this job. Like, my reputation's on the line here. I said, oh, I'll make you proud. And I was hired on. Uh, within like a week and a half, I didn't want to go under the paper maker that was 170 degrees. That's what the temperature is. They sent all the college spares under there, and we had to go in with a gallon of water because you could die. So you'd go under, and there's paper and noise, and you, it's hot, and I was so tired of that. 12-hour shifts, that's what our shift was, sometimes 18. So one day I called in sick. I said, I'm not working. I called in sick. I took my little motorcycle. I had a Ninja, Kawasaki Ninja. And I went racing around the lake that was miles from Fraser Paper and uh, thinking for sure no one saw me. I was pulling wheelies. I was racing a buddy of mine. I came into work the next day and the boss came up to me uh, who would have been reported to another boss, who that boss would report to a boss, then to my father. And the boss said, hey, do you have a black bike? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, do you ever want to go ride? <laughs> and he said, uh, no, yeah, my wife saw you. She was standing on the beach. <laughs> she saw you racing around the lake at speeds that were way out of the law. Right? That's what you were doing. And I said, oh, well, my brother looks like me. She said, no, 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 no. She knows the guy you're riding with, like Dave. And you and Dave, not this Dave, another Dave. And uh, she was, she's good friends with Dave. And she asked Dave, was that Matt Hebert riding that bike? Dave said, yeah, you see the wheelie Matt pulled? That's what happened. You know what? I was careless. I got caught in my sins. There's solemnity to being careless. I could take you to another girl named Connie. She was a friend of mine, uh, my best friend. It was, it was his girlfriend to be, his fiance. And Connie went out one night, and on a Friday night, she was supposed to be at a setting just like this. And she was in law school. She was a very smart girl, very attractive girl. She was the only girlfriend my friend ever had that would actually kiss me. She'd give me a hug and give me a kiss at the same time. We loved Connie. And she went out. And she crossed the street at 2 o'clock in the morning in her little stupor. And someone else in their stupor with a vehicle took her and perished and, and brought her out into eternity. Loss. Carelessness. Absolute neglect, as it were. And there she is. And now she's in eternity. I ask you the question, where would you be? If tonight was the night, because this man has all his plans, he's got all his dreams, he's got all his aspirations, he's got all full good, uh, full hope, good intent, he just wants to collect money that he's had, perhaps he wants to pass that on to other generations, but the problem is, is all his goods are, are, are a wall, as it were, between him and God, and he's so focused on self, and God says, notice what God says, he says, this will I do, what shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits, this man says, and he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and I'll build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Mr. Gates was asked the question one time on CNN. I think it was Dan Rather asking him the question, whoever it was. And he said, Mr. Gates, this is when he was worth $68 billion. He said, Mr. Gates, how much is enough? And Mr. Gates, without a blink, said, it's never enough. Never. Friend, if it's never enough for him, there's no hope for anyone in this tent. 
I don't think anyone here is worth $70 billion. And I might be surprised. You might greet me at the door and sell me otherwise. But I know in my case, there's no hope. Okay? This man says, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have much goods laid out for many years. You take your ease, you eat, drink, and be merry. You enjoy the riches that you've earned. One, uh, God allows someone to earn riches. We don't earn our riches. That's by the grace of God. He allows men to do that. This is what God says. It's interesting what this man says. And he says, But God said, This night, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Whose will those things be that, that, that you have in your life? All the things that you've stored up, uh, who will take over those things? They won't be yours, friend. You can't take them to eternity. The old adage is you never see a, a hearse pulling a trailer of goods. You can't take it with you. And this man here, the, 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 the solemnity to this message is this man was a careless man. He's a careless soul. He never looked at uh, perhaps tomorrow with his soul in mind, with eternal capacity and weight behind it. He never thought, where am I going, heaven above or hell beneath? And he lived life with the luxuries of this life. He's a careless soul. I ask you tonight, is that you? You say, oh, Matt, I'm not that, I'm not that careless. I, I have all my ducks in order. and Well, that's okay. But I'm, I'm just asking, as far as where your soul is going, have you been careless? Have you been careless with the one who's seeking to save? That's God. Dave said it right. The sinner's not seeking. God is seeking. And he's striving and he's running and he's trying to find those that are lost. Have you been careless? Have you pushed off that message of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? I could take you. You say, Matt, you're using strong words tonight. Let me just quote this. In 1871, if I said that date to some of the historians here, you'd say, oh yeah, that's the great Chicago fire in Chicago. Yep. $200 million worth of damage. A fire went through that city. The Sunday before that, Mr. Moody uh, said these words to his audience. He had just preached the gospel. He said, I want you to go throughout the week. You have seven days and you show up next Sunday and you make a decision with Christ. Pilate says, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And Moody says, you go throughout this week and you contemplate those words and, and you come back next week. You share with the audience, as it were, me, whatever, what you've done with Christ. And the Chicago fire comes flying through that city and hundreds, hundreds died. $200 million worth of damage. Just absolute havoc. They asked Mr. Moody, somewhere in his congregation, they perished. They asked Mr. Moody, uh, you know, years down the road, they said, what's the biggest regret you have as a preacher? What's the biggest mistake you ever made? He said it was to allow those that are unsaved to go one more day without Christ. To give them days to contemplate the message. You know, the preacher said those words one time. He said, the soul has two sworn enemies. Yesterday and tomorrow. Yesterday claims its thousands. You know what happens with yesterday? You and I look at our lives and we say, Matt, I can't get saved because of my sin of yesterday. It's so wicked. It's so vile. I'm filled with guilt. I'm filled with regret. I'm filled with remorse. And I can't get saved because of all that sin. And that soul dies and it perishes. That's yesterday. That's soul enemy number one. The worst one is tomorrow. The soul wants to get saved perhaps. They've got good intentions. And they look back at their life and they say, you know what? Yes, God could save me, but I'll wait tomorrow. And the devil and the enemy loves to whisper that little lie. He says, get that matter settled with Christ. Get that matter of salvation. Uh, Be born again. Be converted. Have a new life. Have a transformed life. But get that tomorrow. And that soul leaves time and it enters eternity. And the mocking voice cries out, too late. 
too late. Tonight, friend, would you be a careless soul and leave this tent? And God forbid, as it were, but you entered eternity lost. Tonight's your last night. You say, Matt, I've got all these plans, but God said, thou fool this night. Now let's look at my favorite, as it were. Because here is, the, here is the, the good news. Here's a concerned soul. Here's a convicted soul. Here's Zacchaeus. Uh, and it says he runs. So he's a tax collector. Uh, not only is he a tax collector, let me break it down for the youngest that are here. Uh, if I charged you... Um, if I charge you a tax, I charge Andrew $2, and that was the city tax, Zacchaeus would come in and he'd say, it's $4, I'm going to keep two, plus the two. Okay. So he was a thief. He stole. And he's convicted. That's beautiful, because friend, listen, when God says all have sinned, are you convicted? Of our sin, regardless of what it is. Perhaps it's a lie. Perhaps it's, a, per- perhaps it's someone, you've taken someone's life in your heart. You say, well, oh, oh that's what God says. Uh, he that hates his brother has committed murder. Maybe it's a perverse sin. Maybe it's whatever it is. In your little simple life, does your sin convict you? Because here it convicts uh, Zacchaeus. Notice too also in verse 1, I'm just reading scripture, Luke chapter 19. It says, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. I like to think of the thought of this. He passed through one time. Here he is, he's coming through and he's not going to return. It's Zacchaeus' only chance, friend. If Christ passed through the tent here in Wyckoff, New Jersey, tonight, and he never passed through again, would you have him? Because tonight could be your last night. The gospel of grace, the door of grace, it's wide open. It could be wide open for years to come before the Lord returns. But you could pass out into eternity. And tonight was your last night. Here it is. Zacchaeus says, Zacchaeus, uh, chief among the publicans, he's a rich man. He sought to see who Jesus was and could not for the press because he's little. And I told you that. Here I am. And he runs before. Like, this man has got energy. This man's got vigor. This man's an aggressive man. This man, there's nothing more important in his life than to see who Christ is. Nothing. I could almost picture if the writer there uh, even elaborates a little more. Zacchaeus is pushing people out of the way. He's saying, you will get in the way of me seeing him. There's big men that stand in the way. He runs outside of there. He climbs up into a sycamore tree just to see him. For he was to pass, verse 4, if you're tracking along. For he was to pass that way. Christ was to pass that way. It says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must abide at your house. If, can I tell you, just with eyes of faith, with words of faith from Scripture, God wants to abide with you today, tonight. The Bible says, behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Tonight, we can't boast of tomorrow. We don't know if tomorrow is ever going to come. And God's calling the sinner. And Christ here tells Zacchaeus, after this chapter, he says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Are you lost tonight? Because if you're lost, the beautiful thing is you can come to Christ if you're lost. You can be saved if you're lost. That's the truth here. And it says that Zacchaeus made haste. Uh, Interesting. Let me track with that. If God's calling, are you making haste to see Him? Because He wants you. You know the interesting thing is, people hear the gospel over and over again, and they push Him. Off. Tomorrow I'll get it. Not tonight. I'm too busy. I've got too many things to do. Not tonight. And he's calling. and says, and he made haste, Zacchaeus. I get a picture. He's, he's so, he's, he's excited. He can't wait to meet Christ. He's in the trees up there. Now he's going to come down. He's going to be able to look him eye in the eye. He may be able to touch him, shake his hand, introduce himself to him. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Now listen to the men that are around. And when they saw it, they all murmured saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. 
That's men that are looking on the outside and they see the Lord Jesus Christ. They put him on a pedestal, they've, they've, which he rightfully should be. But now they're saying, well, he can't eat with sinners. But the sinners are filthy. I'm thankful today that Christ ate with sinners. I'm thankful today that he met with a publican. I'm thankful today that he sought out who Zacchaeus was. And went, listen, in verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Here's a repentant heart. His whole life, his whole career as it were, he's been sinning, he's been stealing. His whole life, uh, he's been doing things his way. The Bible says uh, that there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends there are, are the ways of death. Now, Zacchaeus has a repentant heart here. He realizes his wrongdoings. He has a change of mind. The Bible says, except you repent, you'll perish. Zacchaeus says, behold, Lord. He's confessing his sin here. He says, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. He's just saying, I just want to make it right. Like, I've, I've made a mess of my life. Here I am. I'm just, I'm broken. I'm casting myself at your feet. And Christ says to him to that day, Today is salvation come to this house. For so much as he also is a son of Abraham. And Christ says things to Zacchaeus that were used in that day and have been for two, over 2,000 years. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Am I speaking to someone tonight and you're lost? You say, Matt... What do you mean by lost? If I ask you the question, are you going to heaven? Are you going to heaven? If there was any uncertainty and you said, well, I'm not sure, you're lost. If I ask you, do you know who Christ is? And you said, well, I know he's got, you're lost. If I said, is Christ your redeemer? Is Christ your savior? Did he come back to buy you out of the life of sin, off the shelf of sin? That's the thought there. And you said, Matt, I don't know. Then friend, you're lost. The beauty is you can come to Christ lost because He is seeking to save them that are lost. If I said this name to you, and I'll end just with this thought tonight. John Harper. Now some of you might know who he is. I don't know. But in 1912, John Harper, at 39 years old, he's just a year older than me, uh, which is amazing because time goes by so fast. It's hard to imagine I'm even 38. But John Harper, 1912. He's going to board the Titanic. And uh, he's going to board the Titanic to go to Moody to help out in gospel meetings, sort of like this. And he boards the Titanic, and I don't need to tell you what happens to the Titanic. Every soul in this room knows what happens. And that ship starts to go down. And John Harper had boarded that ship with his six-year-old little girl. He's going to take her with him uh, to do gospel meetings up in, at Moody. Moody Bible in Chicago. This past summer, uh, this story touches my heart because this past summer, just a month ago, I took little Hannah at six years old and went and did meetings together up in Washington. So I know that the relationship there with a father and a daughter is very precious. You can't break that. And they board that ship and perhaps they're excited. Maybe his daughter's never been on a ship like that before. And they, they look at the vastness of the ship and they're walking the ship and she knows her dad's a preacher. He's going to preach in Chicago. And they're just looking for the next day, right? They're going to take that ship across the sea, the ocean, and they're going to arrive in Chicago and they're going to do meetings and everything's good. But the ship goes down. And water starts rushing in on the ship. And Mr. Harper, because he's a concerned gospel preacher... He takes his only little girl at six years old and he places her on lifeboat number 11. And he tells the man uh, taking those people, he says, you take good care of her. 
That man had a choice, Mr. Harper. He could have jumped on the boat. He could have gone off to safety to the shore. Because he was concerned for people that were unconcerned of their own soul's condition, he stayed on the ship. And he began to run up and down the ship while it was still afloat. And he was asking people, do you know Christ? Because if you don't know him, you're going to perish. Meanwhile, his daughter is on that little boat and she's going home to safety. Mr. Harper, as the boat went down, there was a man who told reporters after, Mr. Harper perished in the water. The man said, I was his last convert. And the reporter said, what was he saying? What was this man saying in the water? And I guess as Mr. Harper bobbed up and down, he kept saying, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Acts chapter 16. And he said, that man bobbed up right before me among all the waves. And he kept bobbing. And he said, man, do you know Christ? And the man, in the, the, the man that was swimming there, he had some vests on or something. And he said, man, I don't. And Bar- Harper said, listen, Acts tells us you can believe on Christ and you can know your sins forgiven. And he said, I was la- Mr. Harper's last convert. And Mr. Harper died crying out those words. Acts chapter 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And he perished. He woke up in heaven. <laughs> His body, physical body, died in a watery grave and he woke up where his body will never have pain again. And he's in heaven. And he's in heaven today. Not only that, that moment he woke up and he's there with the Christ that he was speaking about, rejoicing for all of eternity and worshiping. And that man, as a result of a concerned preacher, as it were, there's a man now that perhaps had a careless soul in the past. And because of that man, hearing the word of God, he trusted not in Harper, he trusted in Christ that moment. And he has now... uh, he's a concerned soul and he has a home in heaven I ask you tonight what would it take for God to speak and you just come to trust Christ because God will work in so many different ways in your life don't walk out this tent being careless walk out this tent being concerned and convicted and come to the Lord Jesus Christ just the way you are that's what Zacchaeus did he didn't dress it up as a matter of fact he told Christ all his problems and Christ already knew what his problems were you come to him just the way you are for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost.